I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I hope you're all doing well. We've got another great episode for you today with Napoli and with Serie A in general. There's never a shortage of things to talk about, even during an international break. On today's episode, we'll start with the big news on Wednesday that Napoli were handed a 3-0 defeat and a one-point deduction. I'll walk you through the decision of the sports judge and suggest a few points that Napoli might appeal. In part 2, we'll cover the latest news around Napoli, including Napoli Feminile's match against Florentia San Gimignano. And in part 3, we'll preview Napoli's upcoming match against Atalanta. Alright, so let's get started. You're probably aware by now that the sports judge Gerardo Mastrandrea has made a decision on the Juve-Napoli match. Napoli were given a 3-0 defeat and were deducted one point. I'm going to spend most of this segment discussing the decision of the sports judge, and like I did a few episodes ago when I explained what had transpired prior to the match, I'll do my best to remove my bias here. I'm also going to look at this purely from a sporting perspective, which of course is not the entire story, just like on the weekend of the match, when the decision came out, social media lit up, There were lots of debates, not just between Napoli and Juventus supporters, but neutrals as well. A lot of people have strong opinions on the matter, regardless of which side they're on, and a lot of the debates centered around what was the right thing to do. Many people took the view that this was the right decision because the rules, as they were written, were simply being enforced. Another popular argument was that a postponement would have set a new precedent. Of course, most Juventini fell into those two buckets. Others argued that not playing was the right thing to do to limit the spread of the virus. We saw how many Genoa players tested positive after their match was played, so there was a risk that many Napoli players had the virus but didn't know it yet. 
Of course, most Napoli supporters took this position, myself included. Now, this is an ethical question that I'm not going to get into here, but something I find very interesting is that this outcome, that is Napoli not showing up to the match and taking the loss, could have actually saved the season. And trust me, I'm not trying to put Napoli on a pedestal or paint our team as the heroes of the league, but let me explain. Given what happened with Genoa, there was a legitimate risk that if Napoli show up for the match, more Juventus and Napoli players contract the virus, and then they start to spread it, to the point where Serie A has to shut down again to contain the spread. On the other hand, if Napoli don't show up and the match is postponed, you risk setting a precedent that clubs can choose not to show up if they have one or two positive cases. Clubs could use that for strategic purposes. Just think of Antonio Conte complaining about the schedule. If too much of that happens, then the championship is at risk again because there simply isn't enough time to reschedule too many matches. If we're not even willing to cancel the Nations League matches, then you know we're not going to postpone let alone cancel the Euros. But this outcome both contains the spread of the virus and does not set a precedent of postponement so the season remains on schedule. Unfortunately, that means that Napoli had to take the loss. So let's get into the judge's decision. I wanted to cover this in detail because once again there was a ton of false reporting on this and people picking out bits and pieces of the decision to support whatever side of the argument they're on. The decision starts by explaining that the judge was called only to evaluate whether Napoli's failure to arrive in Torino for their match against Juventus was due to reasons of force majeure. In other words, was there an event that was both unanticipated and uncontrollable that prohibited Napoli from attending the match? Given that, the judge was precluded from assessing the legitimacy of the acts and measures taken by the state and territorial or regional health authorities. Essentially, the judge is saying, I'm only looking at whether some unforeseen event prohibited Napoli from attending this match. I'm not commenting on the authority of the ASLs and consequently who has greater authority, like a Serie A and its protocol, or the state, region, or territories and their laws in the event of a conflict. The investigation looked at three things. First, the correspondence between Napoli and ASL Napoli 1 and ASL Napoli 2 on October 2nd and 3rd. Second, the follow-up correspondence between Napoli and ASL Napoli 1 on October 4th. And third, Napoli's claim of force majeure. So let's go through each one. On October 2nd, Napoli's head of medical staff, Dr. Raffaele Canonico, notified the health authorities that Napoli had two positive cases. In their response, the ASL specifically said... The responsibility in implementing the protocols provided by the FIGC for the containment of the COVID-19 epidemic is in the hands of Napoli and therefore this company, referring to the ASL, has no competence. The ASL also requested the details of those who tested positive so they could identify anyone who may have been in contact with them. Canonico nevertheless declared a fiduciary isolation for the team. The following day, the ASL confirmed those who were in contact with Piotr Zelensky, which was the entire squad, and they ordered a 14-day fiduciary isolation. However, the order was pursuant to the Ministry of Health Circular 21463 of the 18th of June 2020, which is the FIGC protocol. Therefore, the judge ruled that the acts of the ASL were not completely incompatible with the FIGC health protocols, and therefore the acts of the ASL were not incompatible with the possibility of playing the match, subject to taking the appropriate precautionary measures described in the protocols. Specifically, the protocols say that in the event of a positive test, both clubs enter into a 14-day quarantine, the away side is permitted to travel, to compete in the championship, and then upon return, they resume their quarantine. Next, the sports judge addressed Napoli's request for clarification placed to both the local health authorities and to the president of the Campania region, Vincenzo De Luca, 
Involving the region only confused the matter, the deputy head of the cabinet of the region responded saying taking into account that the players in question going away to Torino would inevitably have third parties, airport staff, flight crew and passengers, hotel staff at the pickup location, Juventus employees and its members, it was believed that the conditions that allow the safe movement of those contacts are not met and they reiterated the obligation to respect the fiduciary isolation. On this, the judge concluded that the provision of the local ASL undoubtedly assumes much more defined connotations in its mandatory scope, resulting for the first time in the explicit connection between the home isolation and a ban on travel to Torino, which is evidently incompatible with the application of the rules and the FIGC protocol. I'm going to come back to this one because that's a bit of a complicated statement, but I'll address it when we talk about the appeal process. Finally, the judge addresses the claim of force majeure. He starts by explaining that in order to claim force majeure, you must be able to demonstrate an impossibility of performance. In this case, Napoli would have to demonstrate that the intervention of the local health authority was beyond their control and not attributable to the club for the obligation to attend the match to be extinguished without any negative consequences. Case law shows that the impossibility of performance is not valid if 1. The impossibility of performance is reasonably and easily foreseeable, and two, if the claimant has not exhausted all possible alternative solutions available at law. On this, the sports judge made the following comments. He said he saw the complex procedural correspondence between the club and the two ASLs and the president of the region. A picture of clarifications emerges, not specific ordinances or acts that are typical of the general system. And though these clarifications are generally prescriptive in nature, they appear to be at least initially compatible with the FIGC protocols that were approved by the government's technical and scientific committee. The sports judge also noted in this section that Napoli cancelled their charter flight the evening before the match. By cancelling the flight, Napoli effectively waived the possibility of performance, even though Legacetia confirmed the match would still be played. Thus, the principle must be affirmed that an external objective cause of impossibility of performance cannot be asserted. In other words, this is not a case of force majeure. It follows that Napoli are subject to the sanctions described in the regulations, which are a loss of the match by a score of 3-0 and a one-point deduction in the table. So that was the decision of the sports judge. Even before the decision, Napoli's lawyer Mattia Grassani indicated that if the decision was anything other than the postponement of the match, then Napoli would appeal, and I think there are plenty of grounds for an appeal. Again, I'll address each of the three sections of the decision First, while the ASL made reference to the FIGC protocols when they issued their letters on the 2nd and 3rd, I don't think it was at all clear that the order to quarantine was compatible with the protocols. I know for the public who are following this story play out throughout Saturday and Sunday, it was all very, very confusing. And it certainly didn't help that the ASL said if you break the quarantine, you could be charged. So even though the league confirmed that the match would still be played, Napoli appeared to be faced with a decision of forfeiting a match or being charged, and they chose the latter. On the second point, it seems to me that Napoli are being punished for the ASL, perhaps overstepping their bounds. The judge reiterates in this section that the legitimacy of the provision of the local health authority is not a matter of discussion here, so the judge did not review the authority of the ASLs. So if I'm understanding this correctly, which I admit I may not be because this section was especially difficult to understand, one, because I'm not a lawyer, and two, because something may have been lost in the translation. But if I understand correctly, the judge is saying, I'm not evaluating the legitimacy of the ASL's authority, but the ASL does not have the, th but the, ASL does not have the authority to ban travel. It's not even clear to me from this decision who made the leap from home isolation to travel ban. If it was the ASL, then I think there are grounds for appeal, 
but if it was the club, then this position is a bit harder to defend. On the third point, I would dispute two sections. The first is the same as the first point, which again is to deny that the ASL's order to quarantine is compatible with the protocols. I feel like the sports judge left this opportunity open when he said, quote, A picture of clarifications emerges with more or less prescriptive indications by the various authorities involved, which however appears, at least initially, compatible with the application of the specific FIGC protocol. I would also dispute that cancelling a flight implies that Napoli waived the possibility of performance. There are plenty of planes around these days to book another flight. So we'll see what happens. I'll be honest, I think the appeal will drag on for a while, and De Laurentiis will probably threaten to sue the league, but at the end of the day, I think this decision will be upheld. I think at best we'll see Napoli get the single point back, and that's something that I tweeted about. While I understand the decision to give Napoli the loss at the table simply because they technically broke the rules as they were written, I think the decision to dock Napoli a point was a bit harsh. A few times in the decision, the sports judge says that Napoli are automatically given a loss and docked a point. That's not what the rules say that were introduced on October 2nd. Paragraph 3 of the new COVID rules for the 2020-21 season reads as follows. If the club is unable to field a team with the aforementioned minimum number of players, equal to 13, of which at least one goalkeeper, the latter, without prejudice to the provisions of points 4 and 5, shall incur the penalty of the loss of the race with a score of 0-3, but without the further penalty of one point in the standings being applied in the event that this impossibility should occur several times during the same sporting season. So how is it that Napoli were docked an additional point if this was the first occurrence of this offense? One explanation, which is purely speculation on my part, is that the league knew that Napoli would appeal. As I said, Grassani proclaimed that Napoli would in fact appeal before the decision was made. So the league intentionally docked Napoli a point merely so they could give it back to Napoli upon appeal as some form of compromise. So that's the latest. I hope that clears things up for people. This is certainly not the end of the story, but as I said, I think the appeal process will drag on for a bit of time. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll cover the rest of the news around Napoli and Serie A. The decision of the sports judge was the big news story, but there were some other stories as well. We haven't covered the news in about a week, so some of these stories are a bit older. I want to start with the interview that Arkadusz Milik gave to a Polish media outlet called Spartofakti, which is Polish for sports facts. Milik spoke about the whole transfer situation where he tried to play the role of innocent victim. He said Napoli put him at a crossroads to either renew or leave. I don't see a problem with that, no club wants a player to walk away for free. He added that he had given the green light for a few teams, but they were unable to reach an agreement with Napoli. We know Milik gave the green light to Juve and Roma, but I would have loved if he was asked about Fiorentina. Regarding Roma, he said that the medicals went well, suggesting that this deal didn't happen for other reasons. 
When he was asked about naming rights, Malik didn't really answer the question. He said at Napoli, contracts are structured such that the club owns 100% of the image rights. He added that you can accuse him of acting differently with the restaurant, but that doesn't change anything about his departure because these things can be resolved in a few hours. When he was asked about being at war with the club, he said he hopes the fans will understand his perspective after this interview. He said he never lost respect for the club, but then what followed was not exactly endearing. He said he always wanted to leave in harmony. I get what he's trying to say, but we're never going to support players who want to leave in the first place, regardless of how that happens. Then Malik said you can't blame a player for staying if it's not his fault, and that Napoli didn't talk to clubs that wanted him. I find that hard to believe. Why wouldn't we talk to interested parties for a player we wanted to sell? If we're willing to talk to Juve, then we'd be willing to talk to just about anyone. When he was asked about being left out of the squad, he said he heard through the media but the lack of communication from the team was unprofessional and that he doesn't think he's been treated well. I think the club made it pretty clear that he was not part of the plans but I agree, I learned from the media as well so the club should have informed him directly. Milik said there are other players whose contracts are expiring but everything is calm with them. I assume he's referring to Gulam, Kisai and Maksimovic. The difference with those players is that they were open to renewing so their situations were not as desperate. Hopefully they agree to extensions even if they want to leave so that the club can then sell them rather than the players walking away for free. Finally Malik said that he's been the club's top scorer for the last two seasons and always gave 100% so he has no regrets for what he's done and what he's decided. He may have to suffer a bit but he will resist. Milik was the only Napoli player to travel for international duties. He scored a late goal against Finland in a friendly on October 7th, and he played 20 minutes against Italy in the group stage of the Nations League. Following the match, the president of the Polish Football Association, Zbigniew Boniek, spoke to Radio Ankyo Sport. He said, Milik is in shape, he would like to play. I hope we arrive at an intelligent solution with Napoli. At least from January, he will have to play, otherwise for him, the call-up for the Euros will be difficult. Napoli have been by his side for injuries, he should remember that. At this point, I think it's too late, unless Napoli pick up a few injuries of strikers at the same time, I don't see Malik even suiting up for us this season. Moving on to training news, according to Tuto Sport, on Sunday the players were given the day off, but they actually asked Gattuso if they can train, which again is another indication of the change in mentality at this club that Gattuso has achieved. On Tuesday, the club completed their fiduciary isolation and they were authorized to return to their homes. Meanwhile, Lorenzo Insigne continues to recover from his thigh injury. He did custom training sessions all week including physio, exercise in the gym, and field work. Even though the transfer window is now closed, we do have a short transfer update. Jeremy Boga's brother and agent Daniel Boga spoke to Radio Marte about Napoli's attempt to purchase the winger. He spoke very highly of Napoli. He said Napoli tried hard to purchase Boga, but Sassuolo did not want to give him up, so they kept on increasing the price. He also didn't rule out the possibility of a future move to Napoli, which is not exactly a shocking statement from an agent. Moving on to Serie A, we finally have a decision on broadcasting rights. On Tuesday, the 20 clubs voted on which proposal to accept. 15 clubs voted in favor of selling 10% of Serie's newly created media company to the partnership of CVC, FSI and Advent for 1.625 billion euros, which of course puts the current value of the entire company at 16.25 billion euros. Torino president Urbano Cairo spoke after the vote saying that at least in part this fund led by CVC was chosen because of their expertise in sports with Formula 1 and rugby. He added that the parties will spend the next four weeks negotiating an agreement. 
In other news, Gazzetta dello Sport released its annual list of players and coaches' salaries. Starting with Napoli, our total squad salary is 105 million euros. Kalidou Koulibaly is the only player that makes more than 5 million. He makes 6 million euros, which is 14th highest in Serie A. The majority of the team make between 2 and 5 million euros, but some key players make less than that. Petania, Rachmani, Hisai, Elmas, Fabiano, Spina, Maximovic, and Meret all make between 1 and 2 million euros, and Malqui and Contini make less than a million. Napoli rank 4th highest in total squad salary. Juventus are the highest, of course, at 236 million, followed by Inter at 149, Roma at 112, and Milan round out the top 5 at 90 million. Cristiano Ronaldo is the highest paid player by a wide margin, he makes 31 million euros. Matthias De Ligt is the second highest at 8 million. Ronaldo on his own makes more than 4 clubs' entire squads. Spezia are at 22 million, Crotone are at 23 million, Verona are at 24 million, and Udinese are at 31 million. The entire Atalanta squad makes only 43 million euros, which is 11th in the league. As far as coaches go, Gennaro Gattuso is in the middle of the pack at 1.5 million euros. Antonio Conte is the highest paid at 12 million euros. That's nearly 10 million more than the second highest paid, which is Paolo Fonseca at 2.5 million. Not to mention the 4.5 million that Inter are still paying to Luciano Spalletti. Juve saved a bit of money. They're paying Andrea Pirlo 1.8 million compared to the 5.5 that they were paying Maurizio Sarri. And Genoa currently have three coaches on payroll. Current coach Rolando Maran, Aurelio Andrea Zoli, and Davide Nicola collectively make 2.15 million euros. Finally, Napoli Femminile played our fifth match of the season. This one was against Florentia San Gimignano. Unfortunately, I was not able to even find the highlights of this match, let alone the full match, which is really unfortunate. The best I could find was a brief match summary and some photos of the club on the official website. If you know how I could find these matches, please DM me. I always share my contact at the end of the show, but I have a feeling there just was no video of this match at all, which, if that's true, just tells you how much work still needs to be done with the women's game. I'm trying to do my part to support the women's game. I appreciate that some people are not into it, and that's fine. I don't hold that against anyone. You're entitled to watch and follow whatever interests you, but I have also received feedback from some listeners who do enjoy the coverage, so I'll continue to do that. But that's why I try to put Napoli Femminile at the end of the segment, so if you're not interested, you can simply skip ahead to part 3. So with that, let me quickly cover the match, and sorry for preaching, I generally try not to preach too much on the pod. Like the men's team, Napoli lined up in a 4-2-3-1 formation, which is something we saw in the second half of the Inter match. So Napoli coach Giuseppe Marino made only one change to the squad that started against Inter. Catalina Perez got her second start in a row in goal. Marino made no changes to the four-woman back line. Federica Di Criscio and Elisabetta Oliviero played in the middle. Paola Di Marino played at right back, while Emma Erico played at left back. The one change Marino made was in the midfield, starting Vivian Bell over Isota Noki on the right side, but Sarah Hushet, Jacinta Galabadanashki, and Federica Caferata returned to their usual spots. And the usual duo of Jenny Hillman and Despoina Chatsinikolao started up top. From the match report, it sounds like the majority of the first half was fairly uneventful. Unfortunately, the big story of the first half was the injury of Despoina Chatsinikolao. She had to be removed from the match in the 38th minute. The latest report is that she injured her ACL and that further tests will be completed to determine whether surgery is required. So Vlada Kubasova came on in her place. The first half finished in a 0-0 draw. The second half was much more of the same. Eleonora Goldini made her debut for Napoli, coming off the bench in the 66th minute to replace Galabadarashki. 
The score remained nil-nil until the 88th minute when Florentia were awarded a penalty. Luisa Pugnali took advantage of a Napoli mistake in our own end. Di Marino had no choice but to foul Pugnali in the box, so the penalty was given. That's the fourth penalty that Napoli have allowed through five matches this season. Sofia Cantore stepped up and converted the penalty, which proved to be the only goal of the match. So Napoli have gotten off to a horrible start with five straight losses. That leaves us in dead last in the table. Fortunately, Verona, Bari, and San Marino all have only three points, so we're by no means out of it. Juventus are at the top of the table with a perfect record through five matches. Sassuolo are second with 13 points, followed by Milan with 12. Up next is Empoli, who we play on Saturday. That will be another tough match. Empoli are currently in fourth place with a record of three wins, no draws, and two losses. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll preview Napoli's upcoming match against Atalanta. Tuo fa l'americano, americano, americano, sienta me chi tu fa fa, tu vuoi vivere alla moda, ma se bevi whisky e soda, poi siente disturbato, tu a ballo rock e roll, tu gioca a pesa bolla, vei sorta beccamella, chi te li dà la borsetta di mamma tuo fa l'americano, americano. Americano, ma si nati in Italia, si entra a me non c'è sta niente a fa. Ok, Napolitan, tu vuoi fare l'American, tu vuoi fare l'American. We'll close the podcast with a preview of Napoli's match on Saturday against Atalanta. As usual, I'll start with Atalanta's recent play. Unfortunately for Atalanta, I think this international break cannot come at a worse time. In our match day 3 recap, I spoke about how Atalanta's 5-2 win over Cagliari was the closest thing we've seen so far to the Atalanta of last season. Even though Atalanta won both of their prior matches quite comfortably, I thought in the first half against Torino and throughout the Lazio match, they were not the dominant side we've come to expect. The reason why they won those matches so comfortably was because of how clinical their finishing was. But against Cagliari, Atalanta were dominant from start to finish. That momentum will be lost due to the international break. Moreover, Atalanta had quite a few players leave for international duties, 13 to be exact. Martin Darun and Hans Hattabor were with Netherlands. Darun made an appearance off the bench in a friendly against Mexico and played the full 90 in Netherlands Nation League match against Bosnia and Herzegovina. Hattabor played the full 90 in the Mexico friendly and against Italy in the Nations League, and he came off the bench for the final 20 minutes in the Bosnia match. Barat Jim City played the full 90 in Albania's Nations League matches against Kazakhstan and Lithuania. Remo Freuler played the second half of Switzerland's friendly against Croatia and he nearly played the full 90 in Switzerland's Nation League matches. They played two tough teams in Spain and Germany. Freuler scored one of Switzerland's three goals in their draw with Germany. Speaking of Germany, Robin Gosens played 57 minutes in that match against Switzerland. He also played 20 minutes in their friendly against Turkey. Ruslan Malinovsky played the first half for Ukraine in a 7-1 friendly drubbing to France. He also played the full 90 in Ukraine's 2-1 loss to Germany in the Nations League, but he did score the lone goal for Ukraine. Mario Pazilic played 75 minutes and contributed a goal in Croatia's 2-1 friendly win over Switzerland. He also appeared in both of Croatia's Nations League matches. 
He played about half an hour against Sweden and he played the first half against France. Three Atalanta players made the trek to South America to play for Colombia in World Cup qualifiers against Venezuela and Chile. Duvan Zapata scored one and Luis Muriel scored two in a 3-0 win over Venezuela. Johan Mojica played the full 90 in that match. All three featured against Chile. Zapata and Mojica played the full 90 while Muriel played only 51 minutes. Papu Gomez also made the trek to South America to represent Argentina in World Cup qualifiers, but he didn't feature in either of Argentina's two matches. Finally, two Atalanta players traveled to represent their country's U21 squads. Marco Carneschi traveled with Italy's U21 squad, but then he tested positive for COVID. And Bosco Sutalo represented Croatia's U21 side. He didn't play in Croatia's 10-0 win over San Marino, but he played the full 90 in a 1-0 win over Greece. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. With so many players traveling abroad, it will be very interesting to see who Giampiero Gasperini starts and where, and whether it would be in a 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-2-1. Starting in goal, Thursday's training report said that Golini is still doing personalized training and he is not in the squad, so we should see Marco Sportiello get his fourth start of the season. Gasparini has rotated his backline quite a bit, which makes it very difficult to predict. At center back, he's used Mattia Caldara, Jose Luis Palomino, and Christian Romero. I'll go with Romero to start in the middle. At center left, Gasparini used Bosco Sutolo, Rafael Toloi, and Palomino. I'll take Palomino to start there. And at center right, Barrett Jim City has started Atalanta's last two matches. Rafael Toloi started the other match, but he just finished his quarantine, so I suspect that Jim City will play at center right again. In the midfield, Robin Gosens is the preferred option on the left wing and Hans Hattabor on the right wing, so we should see both of them start again. In the middle two positions, Gasparini has rotated between Martin Darun, Remo Freuler, and Mario Pazalic. Freuler played the most during the international break and picked up a slight knock against Switzerland, so I'll take Darun and Pazalic to start. With Papu Gomez, Duvan Zapata, and Luis Muriel returning from South America, I think Gasparini will use a 3-4-2-1. For the front three, I'll go with Papu and Ruslan Malinowski to play behind Duvan Zapata. Josip Ilicic and Alexi Miranchuk will be fit to play, but I doubt either of them start the match in a tough fixture like this one, but I do expect one of them, if not both of them, to come in off the bench. Gasparini should also have Matteo Piscina and new signing Cristiano Piccini at his disposal as well. For Napoli, Gattuso is expected to go back to the 4-2-3-1. Davido Spina should get the starting goal. He typically plays in the bigger matches, and on Thursday, the club announced the unfortunate passing of Alex Medet's grandfather, so he's probably not mentally fit to play. Ospina will certainly remember his last match against Atalanta. He had to leave that match after colliding with Mario Rui, and he missed a few matches after that. At the back, I'll go with the same back four that we thought would play against Juventus, which is Kalidou Koulibaly and Kostas Manolas at centre-back. Giovanni Di Lorenzo should start at right back and Elcid Kusai at left back. Surely Mario Rui is fit to play by now, but he hasn't played in nearly two months, so I don't expect Gattuso to use him here. We'll probably see Rui start midweek in the Europa League against AZ Alkmaar, which we'll preview next episode. I also think Gattuso is starting Hisai because he wants to renew him. We know that Gattuso has had a big hand in convincing players to either stay or for new players to join. And a lot of Napoli fans don't like to admit it, but Kusai has actually been playing really well lately. Speaking of players Gattuso helped bring in, most experts are expecting Tiamui Bakayoko to start in the double pivot alongside Fabian Ruiz. Piotr Zielinski should be at the tail end of his recovery from COVID, but even if he tests negative, he needs some time to get back to match fitness, so I doubt he'll play. I've heard through a source close to the club that Gattuso has actually been trying Stanislav Lobotka in training next to Fabian Ruiz. 
The logic is that Gattuso wants someone smaller in the midfield that can keep up with the pace of Atalanta, and I can see Loboca being tasked with shutting down Papu Gomez. Bakoyoko offers size and strength, which is more useful in other circumstances. Also, he hasn't played since March, so he's probably not fit to be thrown into a match like this. Up top, Dries Mertens will start in the number 10 spot behind Victor Osimhen. And on the wings, we should see Chucky Lozano on the left wing in place of the recovering Lorenzo Insigne. And Matteo Politano should start on the right wing. The match official for this match is Marco Di Bello. He's officiated 12 Napoli matches, 10 of which resulted in victories and 2 in losses. Both of those losses were last season, a 1-0 loss to Cagliari and a 2-1 loss to Parma. Dibello's linesmen are Tengoni and Matteo Passetti. The fourth official is Fabrizio Pasqua, and on the VAR is Luigi Nasca, assisted by Fabiano Preti. For my prediction, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Napoli win. Now, I know that might sound like a crazy prediction for a game involving Atalanta, but if there's anyone who can figure out how to stop and attack, it's Gattuso. He did it to Barcelona in the first leg of the Champions League. He also did it to Inter in the semi-final of the Coppa Italia and to Juve in the final, so we know this team is capable of slowing down big clubs. That doesn't mean they'll do it every time, as we saw in the second leg against Barcelona, though there were also some questionable calls in that match. Last season, we drew Atalanta 2-2 and we lost 2-0. I don't put much weight in the draw, as that was earlier in the season, which was a completely different team and system. Even though we lost the return match, I actually thought Napoli played really well in that one. We had a bad stretch of 10 minutes that ultimately cost us the match. Like I mentioned, Atalanta had 13 players on international duty. That could be good and it could be bad. It means that Napoli should be the more rested side as only Arkadiusz Milik traveled to play for Poland and he's not really part of the team anymore. The rest of our squad stayed back to quarantine. Meanwhile, Atalanta's key players were all traveling and or playing in either the Nations League or the South American World Cup qualifiers. Many of them didn't get back until late in the week, so with a Saturday match they haven't had much time to train. Papu Gomez will be rested because he didn't feature for Argentina, but he did have to travel to the other side of the world and back. Duvan Zapata and Luis Muriel both flew to the other side of the world and played before returning, so there could be fatigue there even for Gasparini players. The flip side of the argument is that Atalanta will be more in form, having had most of their guys play competitive football over the last two weeks. Meanwhile, not only did Napoli not travel for international play, we also didn't play Juventus before the international break, so we haven't had a competitive match in nearly three weeks. I think what might be the difference is Napoli are coming into this match having suffered a defeat at the table to Juventus, so you can be sure that this team will come out with a lot of energy and fight in them that you would expect out of a Gattuso team. So that's my preview of Napoli's match against Atalanta. That will also do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with your friends and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ForzaNapoliPod. We'll be back next week to review this match and to preview our upcoming Europa League match, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre. Se fui é, é nossa está, é nossa está.
En un te corre a pie, en un te destruye su lago la. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.